This is the ADHD Fix: How to Achieve Your Potential, the podcast to help you use 15 proven strategies to discover the many gifts of ADHD. I'm Henry J. Svek, and for over 30 years, I helped others diagnose and treat ADHD. Now retired, I turn my attention back to those 15 strategies I use to help achieve my potential with ADHD. Learning what I did to help myself will help you achieve your success. ADHD is a gift. Let's get started. Welcome to the ADHD podcast. Today's topic is depression and its link with ADHD. And let me start from the beginning by saying what I believe to be the link is that having ADHD until it's um harnessed if you will or until you have the structures in place and the routines in place and the right treatment can result in a, a huge number of negative interactions with others and the world and most importantly negative interactions with your own thoughts and that is why depression is not uncommon for people who have been diagnosed with ADHD and who have it because there is a constant negative feedback situation where behaviors um are judged by others and people are making comments on things and the person if you have ADHD often we're very sensitive to things because our self-esteem esteem is not that great now the exciting news is if you engage in treatment for ADHD which includes cardiovascular exercise that will assist you in fighting depression minimal to moderate depression has been proven in science. Now this is real science. So let's just take a deep breath. This isn't some pseudoscience or some science that you can't rely on. It, it is clearly proven that physical exercise mild to moderate will fight depression. And it's so powerful if you look at the research, I believe that among first responders and, and I know I'm going off a little bit on ADHD, but I think this is very important. The most important thing for first responders Um, military and police to do within 24 hours of being involved in a trauma is significant cardiovascular exercise. There is more science to support it over what we used to do, which are uh, critical incident debriefings. And I used to do a number of them. And the thing I remember about them, many people who needed to talk wouldn't, and talking actually, in many cases, would reinstitute the trauma. So. There's kind of a a thing if you if you think of a roof leaking uh before you worry about fixing the floor and the furniture you stop the roof from leaking. So if you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you have um experienced depression assuming it's okay to get active you need to exercise every day. Every day you need to do prescriptive exercise cardiovascular wise and you need to get yourself going because that's one of the big issues when it comes to depression. Uh, people say well i don't have enough energy to depress uh, to, to depress to to exercise um with ADHD and i say well that's why you need to do it and you'll find that with exercise as we talked about in the previous show not only will you have more energy but you also will have an uplift in mood so let's talk about depression and ADHD the first um uh reason i think many of us with ADHD get depressed is because often as children we're not having much fun And back in the day we used to call it a pleasant effect schedule where people who were depressed 
not surprisingly, when exposed to things that were fun, had less depression. So it's a simple theory, but one that continues to hold value today. So you're not having much fun because you're interacting with a world that is perhaps critical or uh, you're not being allowed, for example, back in the day, go out to recess because you had ADHD and you got too active and you couldn't sort of control some of your moods and emotions without structure. So that's a big one. The second one, which is very significant today, is loss of control. If you take a healthy person, a healthy actual, some of this research was done many years ago with animals. If you take a healthy animal and put them in a situation where they lose control, they eventually get depressed. Healthy people get depressed when they lose control. And part of the issue is, for us as humans, is focusing on things we can control when in fact we cannot, which then leads to the perception of having less control. So a person with ADHD, the more and more things that you know are applied, you, you might start feeling like, well, I don't, have, I don't have any control over this. Well, being a young person in school or even a college person in school or getting a job where you're in a very sort of a rigorous sort of regime will in some cases perhaps mean you've lost control, which can lead to depression. Now, those are the main theories of depression. And there are others, but those are the ones that I think have the most significance for ADHD. Outside of exercise, one method to manage depression is cognitive behavioral therapy. And I will discuss that right after this short message. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. ADHD isn't just for kids, but can certainly look and feel different for adults. The experienced multidisciplinary team at OSR Clinics understands the complexity of ADHD in adults and can help you determine if it is ADHD or something else. The comprehensive assessment process doesn't only look at symptoms, but also looks at your brain in order to understand what's really going on. Visit osrclinics.com to book your free information session today. That's osrclinics.com. So cognitive behavioral therapy really, as its root, has the theory that a great deal of depression is caused by what we think of what just may have happened, or a thought that we may just have had. So the training with cognitive behavioral therapy is very much about changing those thoughts, because if you can change those thoughts, you can then change your mood. And with ADHD, we have many negative thoughts, which then can lead to depression after we interact with the environment, as I talked about just a second ago. The first is you have to understand there are some things in life you can't control. So it, it makes sense to accept that and reflect on those that you can. When we think of past experiences with ADHD and how we may have made mistakes socially or otherwise, um, you have to remember that in the past you did the best you could with what you knew at the time. Now you may look back and other people may, may look back and say, well, geez, we don't, why did you do that at recess? Or why did you do that at that office meeting? Or why did you say that to your coworker? Well, even if you feel today it wasn't great or it was inappropriate or it was wrong or it was too impulsive, the bottom line is at the time you did what you thought was best, you made a mistake perhaps, and you're gonna rectify that. 
But you need to realize that at the time you did the best you could. Next, there are many different answers to a problem. Look at all of them. So we very much with ADHD get tunnel visioned somewhat and we focus on, well, this must be the answer. And part of it's the rigid personality that can go with it and the oppositional behavior that I'm going to talk about in future um, episodes again because it's such an important thing. But you have to realize that there are many different answers. And, and, and I see this a lot when I worked with people who were experiencing significant difficulties in the workplace. And one of the things they would say is, well, you know, this manager always does this at meetings. And that person's just out to get me. And I would sit down with them, we'd talk, and I'd say, well, you know, it could be that the person has other motivations other than the ones you think for behaving the way they are. And, for example, have you noticed how they behave with other people, other individuals? And you might suddenly think and look, well, yeah, the person's pretty inappropriate at other times with other people. It's not just me. And that's a simple sort of, you know, suggestion. But um, another one is that uh, when people feel like they're being forced out of a workplace, they'll say, well, all these people are getting together, you know, my bosses, managers, and, and they want me out. And I would say to them, you know, in most cases, it takes a lot of work, a lot of ingenuity to coordinate a team to do anything. You know, it took, it took hospitals 10 plus years or more than that once they realized that they could stop the transmission of disease by having doctors and nurses wash their hands between patients. It took over 10 years for the team of healthcare in, in you know, industrialized society to realize that's something they needed to fix and coordinate and get together. So in a hospital, you had to have proper soap and you know, dispensing stations and water availability and education. And finally, after 10 plus years, you can implement it in a hospital and people would agree you should wash your hands between seeing patients and it cut infection rates dramatically. Now you would say, well, come on, we all know that. Well, think about it. Do you really think people at work are able to coordinate themselves to, to do you harm in the way you believe? So that's just another example of many different answers to different problems. Now, even in situations that you can't control, you can control how you react to them. And many years ago when I was working with first responders who were answering 911 calls, obviously with emergencies you can't predict. What you can do though is prepare for what to do when the unpredictable does happen. Then you develop control over your response to that situation. And the same thing can be said for someone bothering you at recess if you're a young child or at playtime or if you're at someone's house or at a, you know you have to go to your relatives for an event and you know there's going to be a problem. You know, you think in advance on how you're going to deal with that. Very important one. And, and the next two are probably the most difficult, particularly if, if you're somewhat oppositional, and that is that life's not fair. And in the same breath, you want to say bad things do happen to good people. And, you know, that really does have a big influence on how you that may happen around you, with you, or to you. Life is not fair, and bad things do happen to good people. And there are a couple of ways around that. And, and through CBT, one of the things is we accept those statements. But another one is affirmations. And I think there's something to be said for starting your day. You know, we talk about starting your day with exercise. There's a 
famous motivational speaker in the military. I believe it was uh, Black Ops who talks about uh, start your day by making your bed because after that everything else gets better and you're in a routine and you've accomplished something and you can pat yourself on the back. Well, I say start your day with a workout because that is the most important thing. And so when we when we look at those kinds of situations, you know, life's not fair, bad things do happen to good people. And when you start your day with affirmation and you're grateful for your your family, you're grateful that you got up today, you're grateful that you have food to eat, you're grateful that you have health and so on, things become better. You're, you're more in touch. And, and we talk about the genetic lottery quite a bit, I do, when it comes to we could wake up and be living in a small village built on a landfill where our job every day is to try to find enough material in the waste and the refuge that we can buy enough food for our children who are, are, are hurting with malnutrition. That's a tough day. And there are other versions of that that are reality. And we, you know, it's genetic luck, genetic lottery. It's just whatever you believe in. You may, you may be spiritual here, whatever. My point of it is start your day with gratitude. And all of these other factors that we bring up, the last two, life's not fair and bad things happen to good people, it will help you when that does occur. And you realize that in many situations that you do face, uh, life is not fair. So depression, and, and, and just a final thought on severe depression, we talk about a lot of things to do. You have to have the energy or the coaching or the therapist to help you do them. And when you're extremely, very depressed, so if we go to a, a zero to 10 scale and we chart ourselves above a seven, it may be difficult, uh, if not impossible, get up in the morning and get on that treadmill or go out for that walk or run or connect with nature or to call uh, someone for social support because we don't have the energy. And one way that this is also difficult is that when we have the energy, if we had energy, we wouldn't be depressed. And if we're depressed, we can't exercise to build up the energy. So many times medication is helpful, and I believe it's helpful for brief periods of time to get us in a point where we can be more active or to get us uh, time to buy us time so that we can build up the strategies to gradually with the help of the physician you know come up with the titrated amount we used to call it so the amount of medication that you need to have an optimal life with fewer side effects and in someday it may even mean not having those not having the use of that medication I believe it comes from the exercise CBT once you get to a point of being able to control your life again so this is the ADHD Fix, and if you probably noticed, it's a once-a-month podcast uh, where I talk about treatments for ADHD. I look forward to speaking with you again next time. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. Assessing ADHD requires more than a five-minute office visit. The experienced, multidisciplinary team at OSR Clinics will walk with you and your family through the comprehensive assessment and diagnosis process and will be by your side when it comes to implementation of strategies and advocacy for your child. Visit osrclinics.com to book your free info session today. That's osrclinics.com.